Section 16 of A History of Our Own Times, Volume 4 by Justin McCarthy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 54 Trades, Unions, Part 1. English society was much distressed and disturbed about the same time by the stories of outrages more cruel and of a conspiracy more odious and alarming in its purpose than any that could be ascribed to the Fenian movement. It began to be common talk that among the trades associations there was a systematic terrorizing of the worst kind, and that a famegericht, more secret and more grim than any known to the Middle Ages, was issuing its sentences in many of our great industrial communities. Ordinary intimidation had long been regarded as one of the means by which some of the trades unions kept their principles in force. Now, however, it was common report that secret assassination was in many cases the doom of those who brought on themselves the wrath of the trades unions. For many years the great town of Sheffield had had a special notoriety in consequence of the outrages of the kind that were believed to be committed there. When a workman had made himself obnoxious to the leaders of some local trades union, it occasionally happened that some sudden and signal misfortune befell him. Perhaps his house was set on fire, perhaps a canister of gunpowder was exploded under his windows, or some rudely constructed infernal machine was flung into his bedroom at midnight. The man himself, supposing him to have escaped with his life, felt convinced that in the attempt to destroy him he saw the hand of the union his neighbors were of his opinion but it sometimes happened nevertheless that there was no possibility of bringing home the charge upon evidence that could satisfy a criminal court the comparative impunity which such crimes were enabled to secure made the perpetrators of them feel more and more safe in their enterprises and the result was that outrages began to increase in atrocity, boldness, and numbers. The employers offered large rewards for the discovery of the offenders. The government did the same, but not much came of the offers. The employers charged the local trades unions with being the authors of all the crimes. The officials of the unions distinctly and indignantly denied the charge. In some instances, they did more they offered on their own account a reward for the detection of the criminals in order that their own innocence might thereby be established once for all in the face of day at a public meeting held in sheffield to express public opinion on the subject the secretary of one of the local unions a man named broadhead spoke out with indignant and vehement eloquence in denunciation of the crimes and in protest against the insinuation that they were sanctioned by the authority or done with the connivance of the trades organization most persons who read the report of the meeting were much impressed with the earnestness of broadhead and even among those who had no sympathy with the principles of unionism there were not a few who were of opinion that broadhead and his colleagues had been gravely wronged by the accusations made against them on the other hand, it would seem that impartial persons who heard the speech made by Broadhead listened with a growing conviction that it was a little too virtuously indignant, 
and that it repudiated the idea of any appeal to force in maintaining the authority of the union somewhat more comprehensively than any recognition of known facts would warrant at all events an appeal was made to the government with apparently equal earnestness by the employers and by the union and the government resolved to undertake a full investigation into the whole condition of the trades unions a commission was appointed and a bill passed through parliament enabling it to take evidence upon oath the commissioners sent down to sheffield three examiners the chief of whom was mr overend a queen's council of distinction to make inquiry as to the outrages the examiners had authority to offer protection to any one even though himself engaged in the commission of the outrages who would give information which might lead to the discovery of the conspiracy this offer had its full effect the government was now so evidently determined to get at the root of all the evil that many of those actively engaged in the commission of the crimes took fright and believed they had best consult for their personal safety accordingly the commission got as much evidence as could be desired and it was soon put beyond dispute that more than one association had systematically employed the most atrocious means to punish offenders against their self-made laws and to deter men from venturing to act in opposition to them the saw-grinders union in sheffield had been particularly active in such work and the man named william broadhead who had so indignantly protested the innocence of his union was the secretary of that organization broadhead was proved to have ordered arranged and paid for the murder of at least one offender against his authority and to have set on foot in the same way various deeds scarcely if at all less criminal the crimes were paid for out of the funds of the union there were gradations of outrage ascending from what might be called mere personal annoyance up to the serious destruction of property then to personal injury to mutilation and to death rattening was one of the milder forms of tyranny the tools of obnoxious workers were destroyed machinery was spoiled then the houses of the obnoxious were blown up or cans of explosive material were flung into them at night in one instance a woman was blinded in another a woman was killed men were shot at with the object of so wounding them as to prevent them from carrying on their work one man was shot at and killed a ghastly account was given by one sufferer of the manner in which his house was set on fire at midnight by an explosive material flung in and how the room and the bed curtains flamed and blazed about him and his wife and how he saved his wife with the utmost difficulty and at extreme risk to his own life by tearing from her scorching body the nightdress already burning and dropping her thus naked into the street broadhead himself came before the examiners and acknowledged the part he had taken in the direction of such crimes he explained how he had devised them organized them selected the agents by whom they were to be committed and paid for them out of the funds of the union the men whom he selected had sometimes no personal resentment against the victims they were bidden to mutilate or destroy 
they were ordered and paid to punish men whom broadhead considered to be offenders against the authority and the interests of the union and they did the work obediently in manchester a state of things was found to exist only less hideous than that which prevailed in sheffield it was among the brickmakers of manchester that the chief offences were committed the clay which offending brickmakers were to use was sometimes stuffed with thousands of needles in order to pierce and maim the hands of those who unsuspectingly went to work with it the sheds of a master who dismissed union men were burned with naphtha an obnoxious man's horse was roasted to death many persons were shot at and wounded murder was done in manchester too other towns were found to be not very far distant from sheffield and manchester in the audacity and ingenuity of their trade outrages during the alarms caused by such revelations many people began to cry out that the whole structure of our society was undermined and that the organization of labor was simply a vast conspiracy to make capital science and energy the mere bond-slaves of the trades union and of the tyrants and serfs knaves and dupes who kept it up society however does not long continue in a mood for the indulgence of mere alarm and inarticulate shrieking society soon began to reflect that if it had heard terrible things it had probably heard all the worst the great majority of the trades unions appeared after the most searching investigation to be absolutely free from any complicity in the crimes or any sanction of them men of sense began to ask whether society had not itself to blame in some measure even for the crimes of the trades unions the law had always dealt unfairly and harshly with the trade associations public opinion had for a long time regarded them as absolutely lawless there was a time when their very existence would have been an infraction of the law for centuries our legislation had acted on the principle that the working man was a serf of society bound to work for the sake of the employer and on the employer's terms the famous statute of laborers passed in the reign of edward the third declared that every person under the age of sixty not having means to live should on being required be bound to serve him that doth require him or else be committed to jail until he find surety to serve if a workman or a servant left his service before the time agreed upon he was to be imprisoned the same statute contained a section fixing the scale of wages and declaring that no higher wages should be paid an act passed in the reign of elizabeth contained provisions making the acceptance of wages compulsory and fixing the hours and the wages of labour a master wrongfully dismissing the servant was made liable to a fine but a servant leaving his employment was to be imprisoned the same principle continued to be embodied in our legislation with regard to masters and workmen with hardly any modification down to eighteen thirteen and indeed to a great extent down to eighteen twenty four even after that time and down to that period of which we are now writing there was still a marked and severe distinction drawn between master and servant master and workman in our legislation 
in cases of breach of contract the remedy against the employer was entirely civil against the employed criminal a workman might even be arrested on a warrant for alleged breach of contract and taken to prison before the case had been tried the laws were particularly stringent in their declarations against all manner of combination among workmen any combined effort to raise wages would have been treated as conspiracy of a specially odious and dangerous order down to eighteen twenty five a mere combination of workmen for their own protection was unlawful but long after eighteen twenty five the law continued to deal very harshly with what was called conspiracy among working men for trade purposes the very laws which did this were a survival of the legislation which for centuries had compelled a man to work for whomsoever chose to call on him and either fixed his maximum of wages for him or left it to be fixed by the justices not many years ago it was held that although a strike could not itself be pronounced illegal yet a combination of workers to bring about a strike was a conspiracy and was to be properly punished by law in eighteen sixty seven the very year when the commission we have described held its inquiries at sheffield and manchester a decision given by the court of queen's bench affirmed that a friendly society which was also a trades union had no right to the protection of the law in enforcing a claim for a debt it was laid down that because the rules of the society appeared to be such as would operate in restraint of trade therefore the society was not entitled to the protection of the civil law in any ordinary matter of account the general objects of the trades union as distinguished from those of the friendly society were regarded as absolutely outside the pale of legal protection it was not merely that the trades unions sometimes made illegal arrangements which of course could not be recognized or enforced in any civil court the principle was that because they or some of them did this sometimes they and the whole of them and all their transactions were to be regarded as shut out from the protection of the civil law so rigidly was this principle applied to the trades unions that they were apparently not allowed to defend themselves against plunder by a dishonest member this extraordinary principle was in force for several years after the time at which we have now arrived in this history for example in eighteen sixty nine an information was laid in bradford against the secretary of a trades association for having wilfully misappropriated a sum of money belonging to the society the guilt of the man was clear but the magistrates dismissed the charge on the ground that the society was itself established for illegal purposes that is for the restraint of trade and that therefore it was not entitled to the protection of the law an appeal was made to the court of queen's bench and the decision was that the appeal must be dismissed and that the society was established for illegal purposes the judges were divided equally in opinion and therefore in accordance with the usage the judgment was allowed to go in favour of the decision of the inferior court the absurdity of such a principle of law is evident it is proper that an illegal association should not be maintained in illegal acts but it is hardly a principle of our law 
that because an association has been established for purposes which seem in opposition to some legal principle its members may be plundered by any one with impunity a man who keeps a gambling-house is the proprietor of an unlawful establishment but if a robber snatches his purse he is free to claim the protection of the police and it is not open to the thief to rest his defence simply on the plea that the man's occupation is illegal and that his money if left to him would unquestionably have been applied to unlawful purposes that illustration is however inadequate to express properly the injustice done to the trades unions it assumes that the objects of the unions were fairly to be considered unlawful and to be classed with the business of gaming-houses and shops for the reception of stolen goods but in truth the main object of the trades unions was as strictly in accordance with public policy as that of the inns of court or the college of surgeons one result of the investigations into the outrages in sheffield and in manchester was that public attention was drawn directly to the whole subject the searching light of full free discussion was turned on to it and after a while everyone began to see that the wanton injustice of the law and of society in dealing with the associations of working men was responsible for many of the errors and even of the crimes into which some of the worst of these associations had allowed themselves to be seduced it is as certain as any problem in mathematics can be that when the civil law excludes any class of persons from its full protection that class will be easily drawn into lawlessness the world is not thy friend nor the world's law is a reminder that barbs the advice which bids the unfriended to be not poor but break the law which denies them its protection it was not however the law alone which had set itself for centuries against the working man public opinion and legislation were in complete agreement as to the rights of the trades unions for many years the whole body of english public opinion outside the working class itself was entirely against the principle of the unions it is perhaps not possible to recall to mind any question open to controversy in which public opinion was ever in our time so nearly unanimous as it was on the subject of trades organizations it was an axiom among all the employing and capitalist classes that trades organizations were as much to be condemned in point of morality as they were absurd in the sight of political economy country squires who had only just been converted from the public profession of protectionist principles and who still in their secret intelligences failed to see that they were wrong the whole tone of whose thinking was still when left to itself entirely protectionist and who the moment they ceased to keep a strict guard on their tongues would talk protection as naturally as they talked english such men were lost in wonder or consumed by anger at the workingmen's infatuated notions on the subject of political economy all the leading newspapers were constantly writing against the trades unions at one time not writing merely as a liberal paper writes against some tory measure but as men condemn a monstrous heresy a comfortable social theory began to spring up that all the respectable and well-conducted workmen were opposed to the unions and all the ne'er-do-wells were on their side and in their ranks the paid officers of the unions were described as mere cunning parasites living on the sap and strength of the organization 
the spokesmen of the unions were set down invariably as selfish and audacious demagogues who incited their ignorant victims on to ruin in order that they themselves might live in comfort and revel in popular applause End of section 16